Paul Zollman is an author and motivational speaker who is focused on the role of love in every aspect of your life. In this episode, you will learn about how Paul overcame personal challenges and adversity to go from being an angry person all the time to loving everybody. You will gain insights on the importance of a positive mindset as well as how living in a state of love will improve your life. I had a grandfather, the Zolman grandfather, that lived in Indiana in the United States. And while he was there, he, he married someone, had nine children. After that um, ninth ch- child was born, the mother passed away. We don't know exactly what the problem was. It could have been part of childbirth or it could have been a number of things back in the late 1800s, early 1900s that she passed away. She w- he was so distraught about that that he made some mental calculations, mental errors on how to deal with that situation. First thing he did was decide he was going to sell the farm. He was going to move out of the circumstance. Maybe he thought the circumstances were what caused that situation. And I think that that's common for people to have that type of misconception that it might be circumstances when in fact it might be just you, you yourself. So he sold the farm and sold the equipment at an auction. When people came to the auction and bought something, he said, and would you like this child? And would you like this child? And would you like this child? And systematically gave all the children away except for one, all nine children. So the one he took, he took with him to Montana, which is probably, I would say about a thousand miles away, roughly. from where Indiana was, found a school teacher that had never been married, married her, had 10 more children, of which my father is number six. So he's number 15 of 19 children. And and you can imagine the, the situation there. Uh, when my father is 10 years old, my father was born in 1922. When he was 10 years old in 1932, his father passed away. So this grandfather's gone. Now you've got 19 children, no father, no mother. I mean, well, the, my grandmother is still around, but it was just a very hard time. 1932, you remember from your history lessons that that's a, right in the depth of the Depression, too. So there's financial concerns. There are all, all these concerns, abandonment and, and everything else piled on top of each other. And it's just kind of a rough, tough, really terrible time for the Zolman family. So it's poverty that comes, no doctors, no lawyers. It's really a poverty type of situation. My father had um, only, was able to go to school till eighth grade. So education plays a huge part in how, what's passed on from generation to generation. And we learn basically, it's generational, what we learn from our parents. Not necessarily genetic, but it's generational. And so whatever my father learned in those 10 years from his father and then his sweet mother, I loved his, his mother, my grandmother. She was a very, very fine woman, very kind. She taught children. She was a school teacher, of course, as I mentioned, but she taught children. She was very kind to children. So I always felt really warm and welcome in her presence. My father was, uh, was different uh, that uh, because he had to go to work so early, he only went through eighth grade. He became a truck driver and learned about mechanics and that sort of thing, just kind of on-the-job training. And as a truck driver, he was gone through the week, then home on the weekends. 
One thing I highly respect about my father is that he was, uh, every time he came home on a Friday, he always took my mother out for a date. And as you can imagine, the couple saying, how was your week, how was your week? And I'm number 10 of 11 children. So my father toned it down. His father had 19 children. <laughs> my dad only had 11. Just kind of slowing it down. I only had eight children myself, so we're slowing it down. And my children only have three, three apiece so far. So it's just kind of slowing down that way. But, uh, but being number 10 of 11 children, in the dialogue, I can imagine that my mother talked with my father. My father's being annoyed at things my older brothers are doing, and then annoyed, and annoyed, 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 and he's getting to me. He's ready to blow. And so I felt like I was the brunt of a lot of the punishment that, and in addition to that, I was between two, two sisters, uh, a sister, older sister and a younger sister. I'm a thorn between two roses, so to speak. And uh, he highly valued women. You know, as he took my mother out, and I loved that example that he had, but he also was very, very protected of those two girls. And so if I did anything, just anything, looked at him cross-eyed or anything out of line, I'd get the belt or I'd get a really heavy-duty spanking. And I remember getting one of those heavy-duty spankings, and it was it, the black and bru bruises on my rear end were lasted probably about three weeks. I just remember those days as just very hard days, very just day-to-day, -day, what, what was I going to do if I... You know, I wanted to be good. I did not want that spanking on the weekend. In fact, I dreaded the weekends because you never know what might have happened. All those annoyances before they got to me, you just don't know what would have happened on that weekend. There were good times, of course. Uh, I, we had good times playing games. We put puzzles together. And we had, I remember a few times going on hikes with my father. He was a smoker, so it just really didn't... Um, he couldn't hike very much. I remember age 45, him taking me on hikes, and, and he was just huffing and puffing and just really having a hard time doing that. So it didn't happen a lot after that time, and me being on the end end of the children, it just wasn't happening. So to leave kind of leave that situation, maybe similar to what my grandfather did, I moved out of, out of the house at age 17 and moved in with my brother. Now, my brother was a good father, except he had the same problem. He would be annoyed, 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 and then flash. And then I found out that I had the same problem. And it may have been a generational thing to be annoyed, 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 and then flash. Um, and you just don't know when the flash is going to happen. You know, as much, Sam, as I wanted to overcome that, just saying the words, I don't want to do that, I don't want to be angry, is more of a negative statement all by itself. And you find, find uh, negative statements within that, that anger environment. Um, the other day I was out walking and uh, found a walking stick, actually. So it's a, this is the walking stick I found. And on one side of the stick, it's really, really nice and smooth, really nice. You can put your hand on there. It's not going to get hurt. The other side of the stick has some sharp points on it, little knots on it. So I call this the naughty side of the stick, and this is a nice. So naughty and nice, just like Santa Claus has one of those sticks, I'm sure. That's how you get your presents, Sam. I, I, I'm sure you knew that, right? Mm -hmm. So the Nadia Nice Stick is one thing that really kind of helped me understand the spectrum of where I was. So I felt like anger was really on that naughty side of the stick. And there's a culture with anger that goes with that spectrum. 
There's a culture of uh, uh, there's a culture of violence. There's a culture of cursing. There's a culture of of humor that hurts or stings, uh, puts people down. There's all that whole culture, the whole vocabulary is all within that naughty side of the stick, on the anger side of the stick. And then I, I finally realized that love's on the other side of the stick. So I needed to go that direction. It took me, though, Sam, until about age 35 before I realized that I got to stop blaming my father for all my failed relationships, for all my awkwardness socially, for everything that my father was deficient at. I also may have been deficient. I call it holes in my in my background, holes in my upbringing. He didn't know what he didn't know. Just because of education, my mother graduated from high school, but still with that combination, there really wasn't a lot of higher education that taught. And my brother was, my older brother was one of the first ones in our family to, to graduate from college. And then, it, then gradually several others of us did. It took me 22 years to get a college degree. And I just kept chipping away little by little at it, just because I couldn't figure out how to do financing. Nobody had taught me how to do financing for college. Nobody had taught me, well, this is this is what you do to be able to afford college, to be able to get to, to the next level. Nobody had taught me how to do that, but I finally um, received an accounting degree. And after 22 years of, of hit and miss going to college, I realized that, there's just uh, a lot of more opportunity that way uh, if with children, with relationships, with everything. That if, if you've got a college degree with occupation, of course, everything that like that. So I started working and going to, was an accountant for a while and tried just, and I, I believe that that probably was my desire to stay with the rules. It was just I wanted to keep the rules. I wanted to be a, a good person. I wanted to be that Christian person that would follow the rules. And uh, But I still had those annoyances, 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 and then the flash. And I believe that part of the demise of my first marriage, after eight children myself, uh, uh, part of the demise of my first marriage was the fact that I kept getting angry. And it would happen at you know the most inopportune times. It was just, it was disruptive. And it, we just had to recover from that, from that outburst, and it was just, just a bad situation. So I really wanted to overcome that, but like I said, setting goals wasn't wasn't helping because I just I really didn't know where I was at, except that I kept getting angry. I didn't know that I was being annoyed, 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 and what the process of that that stacking process didn't realize what I was doing to get to that point. And then I had um, while I'm single after the divorce, I'm. I decided I'm going to do some destination dating. You know what that is, Sam? That's that where, is when you travel abroad and meet people from different countries and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, d- date where, let's say, the dollar is probably a bit stronger than it is in the U.S. Well, I, I didn't go abroad that much, but I, I did go did go to um, uh, several cities in the United States, including New York City and Las Vegas and Phoenix and, and Salt Lake City, Jacksonville, Florida, Atlanta, Georgia. Went to several cities in the United States. And I did this for about a year and a half. One city I did go to is Cabo San Lucas. So I did go go to Mexico, um, and not really abroad that much, but uh, just to Mexico. And, and had dates and just what would happen is that 
I was living in one place and she was living in another place. So we'd pick a, a place to meet and then we'd have a date. When I felt like I, that song, Sam, maybe you've heard it about looking for love in all the wrong places. Hmm. And it was just, just those lyrics just kept coming back to me. And I just decided that, well, I bet that if I learned how to love a little bit better, maybe that would solve some of these problems, some of the relationship problems. So I, uh, my sister, my older sister, you can imagine the dynamics in our family. I'm number 10 of 11. I, I hardly get any choices at all, Sam. Everybody, all the choices are made by the time it gets down to me. I mean, it's not really like a council, a family council or anything where everybody has equal, equal say. It was like decisions were made long before it ever got to me. So my, my sister and my brother kind of followed in that pattern. And when we get back together, it kind of goes back with the family flow like that. But my older sister called me one time um, and she lives, she lives seven hours away. I was living in Phoenix at the time and she lived seven hours away and said, I have a neighbor that I want to introduce to you because you seem really lonely is what she told me. And I said, I don't think I'm lonely. And, and, and besides that, I don't want to continue this destination dating. You're seven hours away. What are, how are we supposed to develop a relationship like that? And then she said, oh, come on. I thought, oh, there's, there goes that big sister, you know, dictatorial thing that's going on in the family that um, you, you got to do what big sister or big brother say. And so I half-heartedly said, okay, I'll, I'll email her. And so I emailed her and she emailed back. And um, surprisingly, her writing was excellent. She had a great sense of humor. It was just a fun situation. So we started developing this relationship. And as we're developing the relationship, I'm starting to come up, up to where my sister lives, seven hours. So I'd leave five o'clock at Phoenix time and, and arrive at midnight um, where my sister was, that seven hour drive. And then I'd leave Sunday, go back to Phoenix and arrive at midnight, you know, back at Phoenix. And, and it was long weekend, a lot of driving, but, uh, but just had a great time doing that until I decided, I think it's time I move up because we're getting kind of serious. I'm serious with this neighbor. And then it's time to take this neighbor to Big Brother. Big Brother lives 300 miles north of where, where I'm at. And, and Big Brother, I take her into Big Brother's house and my sister-in-law pulls her aside and said, the only emotion that the Zolman family learned growing up is anger. At first I denied it, said, uh uh then it made me mad. I thought, huh, she nailed it. And so I thought if there's an, uh, any moment in time to make a decision to turn that back and change that perception of the Zolman family, now was the time. So I started, made a determination to start reading more books about that. I read The Color Code, and then I read The Five Love Languages, and I really, really like the principles of The Five Love Languages. I think Dr. Chapman has done a fabulous job of, of doing the research to find and the, make the theory of The Five Love Languages. The theory being that everyone has a primary love language that they like to receive. And that may or may not be the same love language that they like to, uh, to give away. But that most people have a primary one that they like to receive. So I, coming from where I came from, Sam, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. I, I'm supposed to guess, Sam, what your love language is and cater to that? And then we're going to be buddies? I'm a bad guesser, Sam. It's not going to happen. Just as it didn't work for me. 
because of that. And the second thing is that Dr. Chapman says, well, if you take this survey, then I can find out what my love language is. What do I do with that? Advertise? Hello, Sam. I'm Gifts. What do you have for me today? I mean, it's just <laughs> awkward as can be. Both of those things, from where I came from, both those things didn't work for me. I, I can understand the communication part. I can understand telling somebody. But even at that, if it if it's kind of a, a circumstance, well, well, I told you how to love me. How can you not doing it? Maybe it's not enough. Maybe it creates this little pity party that I didn't I didn't want to go that route either. Remember, I'm single at the time, so. So I thought, huh, I wonder if I can make it a game. Like we had games, and the games brought us together as a family when I was little. Even though there was this uh, high, fierce competition between the brothers and sisters, we had to fight for food, we had to fight for everything. So we had this fierce competition going between the siblings, and I thought maybe a game would help me understand and be able to uh, spit out those five love languages because after reading the book four or five times, I couldn't spit them out. I couldn't tell you what the five love languages are. So I contacted Dr. Chapman and said, Dr. Chapman, are you licensing those little icons that you've created for those love languages? And his attorney wrote me back and said, no, they're not doing that at that time. And so I contacted an attorney here locally and asked him, told him about what I had in mind. He said that theory is not copyrightable. In other words, the theory of the five love languages is not copyrighted. Application is. So the applications that he has within his book are copyrightable. And that's any his book obviously is copyrightable. So I took that information, created my own icons, and then I put it on a die and created a game. This is what it looks like. Okay. So for the listeners that are just listening to audio, I've got a, a person with a it looks like a waiter in a restaurant holding up a platter. And that's the symbol I have for service. The next icon is the, the heart that you can make with your hands. But with on top of that, there's a conversation flyout. So those are the words from the heart. And I just call it words for short. The next one is an hourglass on a hand, balanced on a hand, showing that that symbolizing that that's time. The next one is a hand holding a gift. That's for gifts. And then the last one is two hands touching each other for, for touch. Five love languages, six sides on the die. The sixth side is surprise me. So there's just two instructions, Sam. You roll the die every day. That's the love language you practice giving away all day that day, all day. So remember, I'm single. I don't have a significant other like Dr. Chapman suggests. You do this to your significant other. And I come to realize that that's kind of just a part-time job. We're not really trying to be part-time loving people. We're trying to love all the time. We're trying to have that character trait within our, within our repertoire so that we can be loving people all day long. And I thought, this is perfect. I have to love everybody. I have to send it out. And so there's two instructions. You roll the die every day, practice that love language all day that day. The next day will be different. And over a 30-day period, you will have given away all five love languages so that you know them backwards and forwards. You become what I like to call, Sam, is a love language linguist. Sexy title, I know you want that. 
<laughs> put it on your resume. So when you put it on your resume, that employer's going to say, what the heck is a love language linguist? And you're going to say, well, I just love people. That employer wants their customers loved, and they want a loving environment within the workplace. They don't want contentious people in the workplace. So that resume is going to rise to the top. And that's one thing, that one benefit. The second benefit is that by giving all the love languages away, it kind of gives you a peripheral vision when it comes back your way. You can see that they're loving on you. It may not be your primary love languages, but it might be over here. And you say, oh, they're loving on me. And I can respond appropriately to that. So that's, that's the, kind of the theory behind the game. You stay in your lane. Only do what you have control over. I really can't bid someone to love me. It's, it's not, it's, I mean, it's, I can't tell them what to do. I can't make the choices for them. So all I can do, what I do have control over, is sending it out and responding when it comes to my, comes to my way. Mm. And you've kind of come from being a fairly angry kind of person, someone with a lot of pent up feelings and pent up kind of, you know, okay, this is stacking on top of this, this is stacking on top of that, to go in the complete other side of that now, which is more so living in a state of love or living in a state of giving away love to people that, you know, is selfless as opposed to selfish. And so I'm wondering for somebody who will read your book or get your dice, how will that transform them as a person? What are the kind of things that people will start to experience? Or what did you even experience when you started living your life like this? Great question, Sam. The, what, what I was experiencing was the mindset change. Instead, I realized that the annoyances were because I was looking in someone else's lane, looking over there and saying, why are you doing that? What are you, what's wrong with you? And I was just trying to make a decision for them when it was totally out of my realm. It's not even within my wheelhouse to be able to make decisions for Sam, not in my wheelhouse to make decisions for my wife, not in my wheelhouse to make any decision for anybody for that matter. I can make decisions for myself. And so when I, when I crossed that line and realized what's wrong with that person or started talking about, that's the first annoyance. The second annoyance would be very similar until, until it just built up and, and, and blew. And so what happened in the transformation is that when I rolled the die, I started looking for opportunities to love. And, and then the new mindset became, what's right with that person? What can I love about that person? And instead of everybody has right, everybody has good about them, everybody has some, some bad things about them, but why focus on the bad? You know, I, I like to compare it to a magnifying glass that makes things bigger. And when you're, when you're wanting to focus on something, make, make something bigger, why would you choose the faults of another person and make those bigger? Why would you? Because guess what? That's a boomerang that's coming right back to you. Now they're going to be looking and scrutinizing you and looking at your faults. Who wants that? Really, who wants that? If you think about it, nobody ever wants that. But think about the opposite that happens, that if you're watching for the good things of people and now you're complimenting them, you're, you're expressing that to them, even a checker in, in a grocery line, if you're saying, man, you're the fastest checker I've ever seen or something like that, or you can find something about anybody that's just good, 
you can make their day. So while you're watching or while you're rolling the die and doing that love language that day, you're watching for people to light up. When they light up, you've made their day. So it becomes a payday for them and really a payday for you. It's to, to be able to make somebody's day, to make, it, make their day better, and to make be the, the highlight of their day is, is kind of a fun thing. It really is a fun thing. You really feel paid. You feel satisfied that what you're doing is the right thing. You're sending out love, and what's going to happen with that is they're going to talk to their circle of influence as well. They're going to send it out to their circle of influence. Contrast that with anger. You, if you're angry at somebody, it comes right back to you. And most likely, it's going to come back 10 times worse than what you sent out. So just be careful. It's a whole lot easier, a whole lot less headaches to send out love every day. Yeah, 100%. And a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs and business owners. And, you know, whether they're single or in a relationship, they are working most of their day. And from my understanding, this kind of gamified system of, of loving people can be applied in a business sense or in a working sense. So I'm wondering if you can kind of talk me through each different style of love language in the workplace or in a professional environment, what that might look like. Sure. Absolutely. This, why don't we start with service? Because that's, that's a fairly easy one. That if you see someone made some copies on the copier, you're walking by the copier and you're coming back, I mean, you just deliver it to their desk in a workplace. There's opportunities that you can help people um, on with their the task. If you've got your task done that you need to do, there's opportunities all that abound within a workplace to serve others and help them help them with their tasks and help them help them maybe they have to think through a spreadsheet maybe they have to think through they're they're doing a comparison of, of two different spreadsheets or maybe they're just watching uh, maybe they're coding or or something anything that they're doing there's always opportunities to help in that way and it's uh, it's if it's sincere and there's no you're not doing it for any uh, any benefit of yourself You'd expect no reciprocity because reciprocity is a transaction. This love is not let's make a deal. It's not, it's not a TV show. It's not, it's not um, I'll do something for you if you do something for me. It's not that type of transaction. It's not a transaction. To me, love is sending something out without any expectation of it coming back, but just trusting the process that it will come back it's like the law of attraction. What you send out, it's going to come back to you. And it's just following that. So let's talk about time. Maybe, maybe there's a, a new associate within your workplace that you just need to sit down with them and talk to them a little bit more. I had a, a mentor. I used to work for a, a, a loan servicing company where they service mortgage loans. And in, in, within that servicing sector, there was this vice president that wanted me to be the rec, uh, to do a reconciliation that was five months behind. They were, they were writing 25,000 checks per month out of that checking account and the, and the statement's not balanced. And it has to be balanced. They've got auditors coming and it has to be balanced or they're going to be in, in deep trouble. So they prior to that prior to getting that job um, 
or that assignment within the job, I was doing reconciliations of their smaller accounts. They'd only run maybe a couple million dollars a month through each one of those smaller accounts. And I was doing them in 20 minutes or 30 minutes. It was just quick, very quick. They had been 40 accounts back on the reconciliations. I got them all caught up. I said, well, what's next? And then they dumped me on, on this big project that uh, everybody was afraid of. And I found out very quickly, Sam, this was back when Excel was really kind of the big deal for solving this kind of problem. Uh, I found out that um, Excel only had 64,000 lines of, of data and it started chugging really badly about 40,000 lines of data. So I had to dice it together. But all through this process, this vice president took the time, sat down, and always, every time I was at his door, he'd pause and take the time to just have a quick brainstorm session of what direction I needed to go then. Then I was off, off to the races again. I just needed somebody to bounce an idea off of, and I really appreciate that vice president that took the time to do that. I wasn't taking a lot of his time because I knew he was very busy with many other things, but it he took the time like I, he had, just as if he had all the time in the world. And you probably know people like that, Sam, that if it's, even if they're so busy, they'll stop, they'll give you full, full attention, they're not looking at their phones, they're not trying to be anxious, they'll give you the full attention, and then they'll... Um, and then they'll move on. But you feel that and you know that and those, that's the type of thing that you can do in the workplace. Um, let's talk about touch in the workplace. There's always the high fives. Those are legal. You can do the fist bumps. You know, I, I love, Sam, the people that can make up the handshake. They'll have a five or six step handshake. They're, they're slapping hands and fist bumping and high five and then whoo, or whatever. Whatever they're going to do, They've got that little handshake that develops a kind of a, an energy between those two people. And I think that those types of handshakes within a workplace are very appropriate to help one another, just to cheer one another on. It just kind of helps that person have a good day knowing that they're celebrating with another person of something good that happened in the workplace. Uh, let's talk about gifts. Um, gifts is one of those one of those type of love languages that really can can bleed over into a lot of the different languages. It can bleed over into service. You can do a gift of service. It doesn't have to be something that's purchased. So you do a gift of service. You can do a gift of time. You can do. Um, I mean, there there are many things you can do with with a gift. Uh, I have a. Uh, there was a. A couple I'm working with, and it's not in the workplace, but a couple that I'm working with, he, he knew that she did not like gifts, but he knew that she liked words. So what he did was he wrote her a note, put it in a package, and, and then you know, was able to operate with gifts on that day that he rolled gifts on the die. And so it's just, there are a lot of things that you can do. I suggest that you just be creative and watch for the circumstances this really is not uh, the Mosaic Law. It's not 650 rules of, of this, do this, do this, do that. It's not anything like that. And I don't ever want it to be like that. I want the creativity of the person to be able to, to express love in a way that's appropriate for the circumstance, appropriate for the situation, and keeps them out of trouble. You know I mean, love in the workplace, 
Yeah, people think they could get in a lot of trouble, and they could. They could if it, if it became innuendo, if it became uh, sexual, if it became something other than what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about any of that because I think that, that's, that any, anything sexual that happens is a result of possible uh, kindness before that time. And it, may ha- it has to happen out of the workplace. Obviously, uh, you can't be uh, sexual at the workplace. And, you know, people have, companies have rules against dating people within the workplace too. So that's probably not appropriate. Let's talk about, talk about words. Words are more of an obvious thing. Just words of kindness and just quit putting down, just quit putting people down in, in general. Stop it. Just don't do it. It's not, that's on the angry side of the list. Don't do it. Just be on the more loving side, words that uplift. We're trying to make people's day. If you remember then keep that in mind at all times, you're going to have a better day. Um, what else have we not? I think we did service, we did the words, we did time, we did touch, we did gifts, we did them all. So surprise me, and in the workplace, surprise me would be just random acts of kindness. Any, and in, even not in the workplace, it's just random acts of kindness. You're watching for any opportunity to do anything kind to anybody you come in contact with. Mm, that's great. So now we have a kind of working day-to-day way of using these, these lovely tools to have a more loving life. So I'm wondering for you, Paul, you are currently on this mission to spread love into the world and to be a more loving person and you know, teach other people how to do that. As a person, or you know, as, as the listener might be sat there thinking, how can I get to where Paul's at? What can we do today to kind of become a more loving person outside of the things on the dice? What are the questions we can ask ourselves to improve our ability to love people? I think that that's, that's really a, a good question, Sam. And I, I, I wanna just kind of answer that question um, with just more of a self-actualization. Uh, and it's just, you, you're going to come across something like what happened to me at my sister-in-law's place. You're going to come across that, that you're going to realize right then and there that you have to have that paradigm shift and you have to make it. And some it may be someone else that introduces it to you. But what I like to describe it as is it, it helps you know where you are on the spectrum. That there's three choices. When you know where you are on that spectrum between between anger and love or between na- naughty and nice, you're, you, when you know where you're at, I knew that I was on the angry side of the spectrum because my sister-in-law said it and she's an outsider. She said that we're an angry family. And to get away from that, that, um, that kind of stigma, that stereotyping, to get away from that, you have to make other choices. You have to have something... Uh, and I, what I needed was a, a, a different behavior. And so instead of being upset or, or instead of being annoyed at what something, somebody was doing, I was focusing on what's right about that person, what can I love about that person, getting so busy that way. And I think that just even without the die, that people can do that. They can make choices of what's right about that person, they can watch for the good things about people in general and, and, and publicize it. You know, I have a first grade, there's a story within the, the book that this teacher had, had uh, 
called the parents and incorporated the parents within a school system saying, if Johnny does something that is spectacular, very kind at home, will you send me a little note to school about that? And what that teacher did was she read that note from the parents in front of the whole class, showing the class what good behavior was. And I think that that's something that we really need to shout out more often. Without, you can do that without the die, that you can shout out the, what the good things that people are doing. Quit, quit focusing on the road rage. Quit foc- How many incidents of road rage are there versus very good drivers that we get safely from one place to another place? A lot of good drivers out there. There are few that are bad. Stop focusing on the road rage people. That they'll find their own fate. They really will. They make their own choices. That's what they're doing. Make your choice. What what will you do? And if we can make make sure that we stay in our lane, on what we have control over, forget about that other guy. It's not. That's not about. It's really not about them. When you make your choices, when you're sending love out, it absolutely is about them, and it's not about you. Hundred mm, percent. And something that you kind of touched on earlier on in our conversation is the idea that your dad grew up in an environment where he wasn't receiving much love and then he kind of repeated that pattern towards you and then you were subconsciously repeating that behavior because it's what it's all that you knew. So I'm wondering now as a parent who is trying to love their children as opposed to, you know, be on the, the other side of the spectrum, which is anger, what does a loving parent look like and obviously we know on paper that looks like you know support nurturing them and all that kind of stuff but what you've got here is a system or a framework of loving somebody in a way that is beneficial to them rather than a all-purpose solution so what does a loving parent do that's different to the normal loving parent or a parent that's got the role of love in their mind as they're loving their children sam that's a great question and i'm not I'm not the, the handbook on parents, parenting. Even though I've had eight children, I'm not the, not the handbook. I could write a little handbook about it, but I'm not, not the, the authority on that. What I would say, though, is that instead of teaching them, uh, teach, instead of teaching them anger, which kind of just comes out, and teaching them by example, or teaching them to be abusive, like my father, inadvertently, I'm sure he didn't do it on purpose, but inadvertently was teaching me how to be abusive by what he was doing to me. So we teach by example, and if parents can get that in their, um, to, to get that in the forefront of their mind, that they're teaching by example, do they want to really get angry? Do they want to really start yelling? Do they want to go that route? Because that child's watching, and that child will learn exactly what you do. So instead of going to that loud voice, instead of going to the angry angry, uh, terse, curse, uh, cursing or anything like that, instead of going there, talk in soft tones. And that's uh, more than anything, talking in soft tones, talking in a loving way is going to teach that child also to talk in soft tones, talk in a loving way. It's going to build that trust and then just don't violate the trust. You, you'll make mistakes, but when you make a mistake, admit that you made a mistake. Even parents make mistakes. We're not above our children in that regard. We in, we're not. So just admit that you made a mistake, tell them you're sorry, and then try to move on. 
And in that way, you're also teaching them to forgive one another, teaching them that it's that's part of love. Forgiveness is a higher higher law of love, as is compassion, as is empathy, as is charity. These little things that we're doing on the die are just the kind of the basics of the law. These things kind of pulled together can uh, result in compassion. They can result in charity. But these are just baby steps. If we've got to get past these, the, what's on the die. We've got to get past the five love languages to the higher laws of love, the humility. And if we can teach that, teach that to the children, it's really, the children will turn out great. Lovely, lovely. Well, Paul, I know you're very much focused on love, but something that I ask every guest is kind of based around you know who they are what they do and why they do what they do but also kind of focusing in on the joys of what they do so something i want to ask you is paul what is it about what you do that brings you the most joy that's a great question sam i appreciate that um, i get a lot of joy out of seeing more love sent out and it's interesting that uh, to to watch people love one another and watch their creativity and it's, it's not really cut and dried how to love people. It really isn't. But, but the, the qualities and the feeling, the intent, really is all the same. The intent is to send out things that will uplift a person, send out words that will, will encourage a person, to send out words that, uh, or, or gifts that will, will help them feel like they are part of part of a unit, part of a family, part of a community, part of a school system, part of a fraternity, they'll feel where they belong. And I think that belonging is a, is a big deal. So the joy that I get is, is from helping people feel part of that community. When they feel part of that community, they visibly relax. It's almost like a whole, oh, oh, a burden's taken off their shoulder. No longer are they alone. No longer do they have to struggle on their own. There are other people that are going through the same struggles. And we, when we ever get to that, Sam, that realization that we're really kind of all alike, we really all have the same concerns, we really all have the same goal to be a better person today than we were yesterday, and a better person tomorrow, even 1% better tomorrow than we were today. We can do incrementally do that. That compounding effect is really going to help us be the person that we want to be remembered by. We want to be remembered. How do we want to be remembered? We want to be remembered with those flashes of anger. Is that what will define us, or is it the loving and the kindness that we sent out? Is that how we want to have it? Have a just even our name spoken anywhere? Oh, that was a kind person. Do we want to be remembered like that? And work toward that end. And I think facilitating people to get to that point that they're very interested in how they're remembered, not so much that people are talking about them, not so much that they get accolades or awards or anything like that, but just be a genuinely good person. Be remembered as that. That brings me joy. Where can the people find you online? The book and the journal are on Amazon. They can find it there. There's an Audible version, there's a Kindle version, and then there's a paperback version all on Amazon. But when you go on Amazon, you don't want to type in Roll of Love. 
the title of the book, you don't want to do that because you're going to get love this, love that, love a million things. And it's going to be a needle in the haystack trying to find that. If you'll just type in my name, Paul Zolman, Z-O-L-M-A-N, you'll be able to get right to that. The, the second way that people can, the only way for people to get the die right now at this point in time is through my website. And that's rolloflove.com. And it's R-O-L-E of love.com. R-O-L-L is what you do with the die outside of you. R-O-L-E is what changes within you. Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend. 